Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the All Things WA podcast. Today may be my favorite episode thus far. I don't know we're only three episodes in, but this may be my favorite episode up to this point because today we are going to discuss something that I love to do, and that would be booking storylines. And today we're going to cover the things that I call master plans. Now, the master plans are storylines and ways to uh, build long-term extensions and long-term angles moving forward. And these are all things that I came up with, with, uh, you know, there were, there were help from other people on some of these things. Um, I'll be the first to admit that other people uh, helped me get there along the way, but this is the, these are seven angles, I'm only going to go in depth on six, six of them though, uh, because the seventh one is something you're just going to have to stay tuned for, <laughs> uh, because although I believe all seven of them will be used in NGWI, uh, I know for sure that number seven is being used in NGWI, so I'm going to take a step back and not discuss that one, but I will tell you uh, what I call it. So, you have, you know, seven different ideas, seven different things that I call master plans just because uh, how intricate the booking is. The, the intricacies of the actual booking here. If one thing goes wrong, the entire plan gets derailed. And although I've tweaked some things along the way, because in reality, these, especially my A number one master plan, you know, it would never work with the way that Amino is set up. Because it requires... It requires a three-person set, one of which, and we'll get into this, one of which would have to be, uh, I guess here I have it written down as the novice of the group. So, you know, I I am looking forward to running down through this. But before we get there, uh, I do want to real quickly thank everybody for the, uh, you know, uh, views and the listens on the first two episodes, that being the... uh, look back on the booking blunders of WA, the worst that I've ever seen, uh, WWE and Jetta, and of course the Javi Squid retrospective. I, you know, I didn't expect that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I really didn't expect that. So I, I just want to thank all you guys for, uh, giving this a listen and, you know, I hope that it, can continue and uh, be as successful as it has been so far. So, with that being said, without further ado, I am going to begin with Master Plan number one. And it is called The Novice, The Monster, and The Man Who Conquered the Monster. So all of this, all of this kicks off with, you know... The first thing that comes out of it is the monster. And the monster 
you know, I, I suppose it doesn't necessarily have to be a monster monster, but you build him outside, you know, you start it outside of the ankle. He's winning a whole bunch of matches, and he's conquering everybody who gets placed in his way. And it's like, well, he deserves a world title shot. He's undefeated. But management, the ownership group, says, point blank, basically, I can't have a world champion that is never going to lose the belt. Like, he's beating everybody, and, you know, he's on his way through him again. He's, he's on his way through, again, just killing everybody. I can't have a guy hold my world title. I can't have a guy come in and hold the world title that is never going to lose it. So until somebody proves that he can lose, he's not getting a world title match. So, you know, you build up this monster outside of the rivalry. At the same time, you've got a world champion who is uh, pretty well, you know, keep holding on to his belt, beating every challenge that comes his way. And on a specific episode, you have the world champion... March on down to the ring, and he gets on the mic and he says, you know, I've beaten everybody that you can throw in my way. I've beaten everybody, legitimately, on this roster that is worthy of a title match. You, know, you, can, name, you can name drop the monster, name drop the monster, because he's worthy, but they just can't give him one yet. So, you end up having him say, having the champion go, I want a challenge. So anybody in the back, anybody, I don't care who it is, you can come on down to the ring and you can step in this ring and you can go one-on-one with me with my title on the line. So somebody's music hits and this is where the novice enters the scene. He's a guy who hasn't had... You know, he's either a complete unknown or a guy who hasn't had any any kind of semblance of true success on the roster before you get to this point. And, you know, he's walking down the ramp and he gets to the ring and the champion being the cocky champion that he is, you know. Whether he be a babyface or a heel at this point, it's like, you know, through, through the rain, he's probably, with the way it works out, he's probably going to be a heel. But... He's just he's just cocky. He's got he's got he's way overconfident that, you know, his skills are going to, you know, beat this novice because he hasn't really ever done anything. So they meet in the middle and the bell rings and the champion looks at the novice and is like you of all people, I'll get this I'll get this done in like ten seconds. Well the novice flips him off, hits his finish, and wins the match one, two, three. And it's a huge shock victory. It's like it's like oh, it's the wild card that nobody ever thought would do it that he did. He does it. So he wins the belt, and of course, moving forward, everybody's shocked. You know, he won the belt. He's the, he's the champion that should have never been. You give the champion his rematch at the next event. And the novice wins again, but this time he does it at a competitive match where it could have gone either way, so it proves that it wasn't just a fluke. He deserves to be the champ. And over the course of about the next six months, you are building the novice and his championship run, making sure that he is a viable champion. Building it 
when he's the champion instead of building it afterward or, or, or building it beforehand. You kind of have to um, because, of course, he's coming out and he's shocking everybody. In the meantime, during that six-month period of time, the monster's still beating everybody. But then enter the guy that will beat the monster. You insert him into this angle, and all of this all of this combines later down the line, but you insert him here. You had picked somebody on your roster that you want to be in the main event. Handpick somebody that you want to be in the main event. I cannot stress this enough. Don't just pick somebody because, oh, they're cool. Pick somebody, A, you know you can trust, and B, you want to be in your main event. You pick this guy, the monster's still going strong, and at uh, six months down the line, along with the champion being the strong champion that he's become after from being the novice to being the world champion. The monster gets in the ring and he loses a he finally loses a match. Well, then at the end of the sixth month of this title run, he he wins his match and he's in the ring. And at the, at this point he's kinda gotten cocky. You know, he's kinda turned into the thing that made him the Yeah, you know, it made him the evil that he so uh, that he so easily vanquished because of the cockiness you know he's, he's become cocky himself and your your older your authority figure comes out on stage and he's like well I'm going to tell you right now next month your challenger is going to be the monster it's going to be the guy who could never lose, but now that he's lost, now that now that it's been proven that he can lose, he is going to take you on, one on one with your world title on the line. Now the gripe here is that the guy who beat the monster, he beat the monster. He's the first man to ever pin him inside of a uh, insert league name here ring, and his gripe is I pinned him, I beat him. If he's getting a world title shot, then I should get a world title shot. Well, you know, management's like, management's like, well, we've been waiting to put this guy in here for literally over a year because he can't lose. So we've been waiting for over a year to insert him into this, into this matchup, and they do it, but. Of course, whoever beat the monster is going to have the gripe that they deserve a world title match. So, we get to the world title match between the monster and the novice. And, classic contest, the monster wins. But at the end of the match, the monster gets jumped by the man who beat him. It'll extend that little angle there. And, by virtue of that... You have him getting his world title shot, basically just inserting himself. The monster insists that he gets the world title shot. And the novice being the novice, he becomes, he uses his championship rematch in a triple threat. So so first off, he'll cash in his championship rematch, but the monster will insist that the man who beat him is inserted. The, the one man he could never beat gets inserted. 
leading to a triple threat match. Where, when it's all said and done, uh, at this point, you can go any way you want to with it. The novice could win, the monster could win, the man who conquered the monster could win. And it all branches out in different, it all branches out into different things. But the key cog to this entire master plan, the key cog to the entire story, is that it sets up your main event for over a year. Because whomever you put the novice in there against during the time, obviously you want them to be main eventers. It's a six-month span of time. So whether during that six-month span of time he's fighting a couple people on multiple occasions or he's fighting six different people, it sets up guys that you want to be in your main event. And, of course, the former champion is going to be on the outside look again. And uh, what this does it is he basically goes nuts because he wasn't supposed to lose to this nobody. You know, this person that would be considered, in many circles, a low-level guy who wouldn't be anywhere near a world title anywhere else. But he came out and he, he beat him and won the belt. He's not supposed to beat the novice. The novice isn't supposed to beat the world champion and win the world championship. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where the champion goes absolutely insane. You could run a broken gimmick out of that. You could... You just make him practically. You can just make him nuts. It's just like it, it's it eats at him, and maybe he goes on a redemption story after that. But that's up to you. But you got four bona fide main eventers because the former champion had held it for a while. The monster is at this point ready to be in the main event. You you've promoted him from being this guy who is an upper mid carter to now being the main event. The novice is in the main eventer because you spent six months after he wins the belt, building him to be a top guy. And the man who conquered the monster beat the monster, so he gets a lot of rub from that, and he's obviously inserted himself into the main event scene. So that is that storyline. That's that's something I'm very proud of. You know, I, I think the original seeds for that were planted through a call when, when I wanted to do a call league, and me and my brother wanted, needed to book storylines, so... He had a character named Arkham. He acted as the monster. Nobody could beat him. He had a guy named American Hero who acted as the man who would beat the monster. And then I created a guy named Rick Shaw who would be the novice, the nobody who came out and won the world title. And, you know, through through that, uh, the storyline came together. The, the storyline idea came together through you know, those aspects. And I think, again, all of these come down, you got to execute them to the letter or the original idea behind it is going to be gone. But that's number one. Number two on this list is what I call the perfect invasion. This angle is something that I really enjoyed doing. And this is another thing that came from me and my brother just sitting down and doing, you know, stuff with the colleague that never happened. We decided, well, well let's have a little bit of a backstory here. I, I remember MPWF had backstory behind their company. MPWF, they, they you know, it's like, well, you know, they, they, have a hist they have an entire history of champions before the Call League ever officially started. So they started, they did their entire back history. So 
we were like, well, let's do that with us. You know, let, let's say that there were two, there were two big promotions, and one was called CCW, uh, Crash Chain Wrestling, and the other was called TAW, Total Action Wrestling. And CCW for the longest time would be on the top, and they they would be you know reigning supreme, and but then TAW showed up and completely derailed the momentum of CCW. It allowed, you know, TAW took over, and then after a while, TAW started stealing talent. You know, you, you had top guys such as, um, in CCW, the top stars were Marcus Scorch, uh, Bruce Tennyson, uh, you, you had Zach Radson, Zapora. These were the top guys, and all of them, basically at one time, you know, they they all left in sets of three, but all of them, within a year's span of time, left and went to TAW. So, the owner of TAW, which was me, would come over to CCW, and he he won, you know, he'd, he'd leave CCW for a while. CCW would have to close its doors, and he he came over to TAW. And he decided, well, you know, and it, it turns out that it's two brothers that own these, own these two different companies. And it would end up being that Steven versus, you know, me, the guy who ran CCW, would be Steven, my brother, me, who ran CCW. And it would, it, you know, we'd collide in a... You know, I'd come over and be that guy who's like, you know, I, I want to, I want control, I want it back, but it's because you're you're evil and you stole from me. And so it, it turns into TAW versus CCW, the owners in in a hell in a cell, and the winner gets control of TAW and their assets. Now the original match is won by Steven. But he uses some dirty tactics along the way to do it. The the angle obviously continues, and you go you go a few months down the line, and you have a rematch for ownership. And in this match, this is where the true invasion, I suppose, begins, because it turns out that these groups of three that have been coming over to TAW at the time they're sleeper cells they are guys who were there just wait, lying and waiting until CCW had to officially close its doors but they've been lying in wait waiting at the beck and call of you know myself to you know beat up and end CCW take, take, away, take away TAW from the ownership so the first the first guy to activate out of this sleeper cell is Zach Radson. And he comes in and he would be the guy that I would push as my top guy in that capacity. But he, he comes in and he attacks Steven, lays him out, and voila, CCW is now the the owner of CCW now has control of TAW. And for six months, the entire program is rebranded as CCW. CCW pay-per-views, uh, CCW, uh, CCW shows, you know, the weeklies, the CCW's named after, the rings changed, the look, the aesthetic, it's all changed. 
and it's kind of it's kind of like what WWE did with their Road to WrestleMania uh, in their WWE 12 with the WCW taking over Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania. It's kind of like that, but it it gets a little more in depth as we go. That didn't last very long. So six months, CCW takes over. CCW has complete control, and. All this time, you know, all these CCW guys, all the guys that were CCW, they are sticking with CCW. You got guy, and then you've got some guys that were TAW that ended up jumping ship to kind of even out the rosters. You know, they they're like, I want to be on the winning team. I don't want to be. I don't want to be on a team with a bunch of losers. I want to be on the winning team, and the winning team is CCW. So they jump ship. And there may be that one CCW guy or two that decides, well, TAW was better to me than you ever were. And he decides to stick stick with TAW. But it's it's just a civil war between within the, the company. All these guys are under TAW contract, but it's a civil war between the company. Within the company. So after six months, the challenge is officially laid out. You know, Steven has enough backup to issue this challenge. And it is a pay-per-view with seven matches on it. And all seven of these matches are Team CCW versus Team TAW. It's a best of seven. And whoever wins, you know, the first person to win four matches, the first group to win four matches, is going to be the owner of this promotion. So if... TAW wins, TAW gets control back. If CCW wins, they keep control, they keep control forever. Well, CCW accepts, and they send out their best, and the, the main event is a five-on-five elimination match to, to really, you know, gear it up. And this goes back to the Alliance versus uh, WWE at Survivor Series 2001, which... Say what you will about the invasion angle. That Survivor Series match was actually pretty good. Uh, so that, that that sets that up, and when it when the dust settles at the end of the war, you get it's three to three at the end, going into the main event, and when the dust settles, CCW their their poster child Zach Radson turns on them, and TAW picks up the win. You know, Zach Radson turns face because at this point we did the double turn with CCW's guys going heel, TAW's guys going face, and you have the post you have the poster child of CCW turn face and rejoin TAW, just like Kurt Angle did at the Survivor Series. Which, when booking this, I didn't even know that that even existed. I knew the match happened, but I had never seen it before. And I had never seen the finish. So TAW gains control back, and it's a year-long process yet again. And you don't just come in and do it right away with you know, uh, you know, it's like you don't just come in right away and do it right off the bat. It's just you know, you constantly you just constantly build to it. WWE, the invasion started around WrestleMania that year and it went six months down the line. And you really got to just start it at a certain point. You got to start it at a certain level and then build 
build to that. But that that's how basically that's a rebook of the actual invasion angle itself, and that's something that I would call the perfect invasion. In my opinion, one of the few ways that you can do it and do it properly. And, uh, you know, again, uh, it is a master plan. It comes down to execution. One thing missed. One thing on that entire line, is if it's missed, you're screwed. And before we move on to our next one, I, I do want to say that if anybody has any, you know, constructive feedback and criticism that can make these better, if anybody sees a flaw in them, please you know, comment, let me know, because this is something, these are things that I want to run, and I want the booking, whether the matches at the end of the day come out to be the best thing ever, or just kind of middle of the road, although I do trust my partner in crime, uh, Tool, shout out to Tool, I do trust him to write the matches to the best of his ability, you know, and whomever writes for our shows, write it to the best of the, the abil- of their ability, but I do believe that, you know, they're, they're, you know, the matches, they may not be BOTB, BSTW level, although I feel like we can get to that, but that's not our goal. We want to make sure that the booking and the storylines get people invested, and the matches deliver on what they're promising. They may not over-deliver, but they're going to deliver on what they're promising. And that's, you know, special stuff. But, again, if you have any kind of critique that can help these storylines improve going into the angles when we decide to run them, please, by all means, I want to know. Number three. Called Building a Sort of Corporation. This is something I came up with for um, a little role-play league that was called UWI at the time. When I decided, hey, I want to run a league, but I don't want to run a written league, so I'll run a role-play league. That didn't age very well. But the angle, I think, still works out. So you take three guys, and you put them under masks, and you debut them under masks, and nobody knows who they are. But they they basically act as like a shield-esque kind of stable. And throughout this time, they, they just go around kicking everybody and... After about a four to five month span of time, you know, you can't necessarily drag it out too long, but after about a four or five month span of time, you rip the masks off and they're shocking. It's shocking who you see underneath. You know, just pick pick people you wouldn't imagine to be heels out of this. Pick people you wouldn't imagine to be heels and that's who's under the mask. So we're talking shock heel turns here. So if you got a babyface character and I come to you and ask you to turn heel, then this is probably the angle. Then a fourth guy joins. So they, they've even the odds they've gotten the masks off. Then a fourth guy joins the fray. This guy's more of a heel heel. You know, he's been he's been a heel for a while, so he's he's a heel. And he's there. And you got a babyface world champion at the time when you're running this as well. But He's a heel, and so he, he joins up. And then a month later, it's like, well, the authority figures, they're, they're going to come out and help. And, you know, the authority figures, in, the, in this case, whether it, it's, you know, let's use NGWI as an example. you got Commissioner Fullerton and Shane Rathery as co-owners. The 
whole thing builds, and it's like, uh, well, Rathery is an in-ring competitor. He's trained. He can go if he wanted to. So he ends up being like the mastermind behind the whole thing. Shane Rathery is the mastermind behind the whole thing. And he goes corrupt, and he says, I want the world title. So he goes out, and he uses his faction that he's built, the, this this dominant force that he's built over the course of the past seven to eight months, and he wins the world title. You know, during this time, though, you, you have a, you know, you have a, you have a, you know, classic Survivor Series elimination match, of course, and, you know, if, if a certain guy wins, he, you know, gets a title match or something like that, or if a certain guy wins, so Rathery's taking sole control, you put, you know, right, right out from under Commissioner Fullerton's nose, and so Fullerton puts together a team, and if he wins, you know, he gets, you know, he can have, he can have his stake in the ownership back. He can't completely oust Rathery out of the, out of control. He wouldn't allow that, but he can get his partial ownership back. So Rathery, you know, Rathery, his team loses, and he comes out the next night, and he's like, the entire time there's only been, you know, this group has been strong. And the heel that, you know, joined later, he's in the ring and he's yapping, you know, there's only, you know, this whole time we've been dominant. We're only going to come back twice as strong. But Rathery takes the mic. He's like, the entire time there's only been one weak leak in this group. And it was you. And they turn on him. And they turn him, effectively turn him face. So it grows and grows. It continues on. You know, say the next, say up, up at that point, the next month would be the... Um, tournament because I don't think we're going to be able to do a rumble but maybe we do a Field of War-esque kind of match with the Grace with permission from Prince like a Field of War based contest just not called the Field of War <laughs> more of a Field of War-esque contest to crown a number one contender for the world title for the biggest show and the guy who was just beaten up and turned on He's a main event level guy because he's been involved in the main event storyline. He goes in and he gets himself a win in that match. But Shane Rathery being a corrupt heel authority figure, he's the world champion and he's a corrupt heel authority figure so he keeps the belt on himself and he's like, well, you're going to have to go through A number one, one member of the faction. And then and then he beats him and you got to go through A number two, another member of the faction. And, uh, you know, then he goes, you know, you got to go through another member of the faction. The last guy, it's the last guy on the fence. You beat him, you get Shane Rathery. And it just builds from the lowest level of the faction all the way to the top level. And so he gets past him and finally he's going to get his shot at Shane Rathery. And one, two, three, in the main event of the biggest show, he takes him out. And he gets the world title off Shane Rathery. And the biggest, big celebration, you know, all, all of these have happy endings, of course. But, you know, big celebration. And Shane Rathery, you know, just has to go back to being the owner again. He just has to go back to being the co-owner and trying to coexist with Commissioner Fullerton. He's lost his world title and he is not happy about it, but he has to live with it now. That that's another thing where again revisions are deeply and uh, greatly appreciated. If you have ideas that can make it better, that would be great. But I pitched that to XCW back in the day, and Ian had some revisions he wanted to make, but he never gave me any kind of feedback on what would make it better. 
I do consider it one of my master plans, but he never gave me any feedback on what would make it better. As far as the episode with, uh, as, as far as, you know, when I was booking in UWI, the guy I had was, you know, the, the best booker I had there was Riot. So, oh, and Steven was in there, but he didn't really help book this. But at the time, the best booker I had in there, the, the most well-known booker I had in there was Riot. And he, he, just, uh, he just said, okay, we'll do it. That's fine, we'll do it. So, you know, no revisions there, but I did kind of tweak it a little bit after the XCW thing, and it it gets better over time. So, you know, and all the all these things they have to start small and then build into something better, and it's just the intricacy of the booking. It has to kind of it's got to ebb and flow in the right direction to get where you know it needs to go, and especially especially with the first three that I mentioned. Everything has to go exactly right, or it's not going to work. If even one little iota, if even one little thing is off, and it could be the smallest thing of the entire angle, but if it's off, it'll throw the entire story off. And that's, you know, that's why they call them master plans. You got to be able to execute them perfectly. We're gonna move on to number four on the master plan list. And it is kicking out of a no-kick-out move. And I came up with this in a chat with uh, Rabbit. And we were talking about the Arms of Sorrow and how, how the Arms of Sorrow would be the perfect move to, you know, would be the perfect move in the long run to build somebody. If, you, if they use it properly and they build it up properly over time, it'll be the perfect move to have somebody kick out of and it be you know a big deal when it happens so I came up with an idea and basically the entire deal with this is it's a series of natural progressions so let's fantasy book this using Kirk Matthews and I did this the other night so I'm going to use use him again let's use Blake Lethal let's fantasy book it and this could work for anybody but I'm going to use Kirk Matthews because he's got the arms of sorrow and Blake Lethal because I like Blake and I think he could use the rub at the, right now because and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to drop this right now all four members of Future Foundation are excellent but I think a lot of the focus has gone to you know in a lot of places Ricky Torres in a lot of places Nolan in a lot of places uh, Zach Peters and Blake's just kind of been the guy who's just on the outside looking in with every single spot He's not really elevated to be the main event guy really anywhere. So I think this would be a way to, if, if the Future Foundation continues into the future, which I fully plan to, uh, you know, fully at least see it doing, this is a way to make Blake even better. This is a way to put Blake over as a star, you know, which he already is, but get some more focus and get some more shine on him. So... Kirk Matthews, Blake Lethal. Blake Lethal earns a shot. You know, he just earns... He, he, he's going to face Kirk Matthews. Title doesn't need to be on the line. No, no titles here. It's just rivalry. And Kirk Matthews versus Blake Lethal. Match continues. Competitive. Could go either way. Blake Lethal gets hits with, hit with end of heartache. One, two, three. And Kirk, he's super excited. 
And again, this is babyface versus babyface, but this is also fantasy booking, so I can turn whoever I want to heal. So Kirk, Kirk is the heel in this aspect. He wins with End of Heartache. He's super excited. He's super happy. And he, he goes off into the back, and Blake Lethal is disappointed in himself in the ring because... In his mind, he knows that if he had one more opportunity, if he if he could have if he could have gotten out of the end of heartache, if he could have kicked out of that, then he had him. So he goes back to the back and he asks the ownership. Yeah, he, he asks the authority figure for a rematch. And the authority figure says in re- return, "Well, you just lost to Kirk Matthews. I'm not going to give you another match with Kirk Matthews. You're going to have to earn that opportunity." So. A couple months pass, and the entire time it's a build of, you know, just making Blake Lethal, you know, Blake Lethal's getting his body stronger. He's trying to, you know, toughen himself up in a way. And he builds his way up to finally getting Kirk Matthews again. We go to the second match, and Kirk Matthews versus Blake Lethal too. And Kirk Matthews, you know, another really hard-fought match. Kirk Matthews drills the end of heartache. Blake Lethal kicks out natural progression. He toughened his body up to where he could withstand no matter what kind of uh, punishment he took during the match. He had built his body up to a certain point where he could escape and kick out of the end of heartache. And Kirk is stunned. He's like, that worked last time. Why didn't it work this time? So he moves on. And the match continues for a little bit. Blake looks like he's got it, but he doesn't quite got it. And Kirk cooks him, hits the arms of sorrow, and gets the one, two, three. This time, Kirk had to pull out the biggest move in his arsenal, the most dangerous move in his arsenal, to knock Lethal down. He had to hit him with the arms of sorrow to put Lethal out. So, we move on. Again, Lethal wants another rematch. He's he you know, he he feels it. He knows it that he knows he can beat Kurt Matthews. He knows he can beat Kurt Matthews. And this time around, Kirk he's like, Give him his rematch. <laughs> you know, it's like I beat him twice before, I can beat him again. Give him his rematch. So we go to the last we go to the last showcase of these two in a rivalry, Lethal versus Matthews three. And again, just hard hard fought, hard hard knock contest end of heartache kick out Matthews uh, you know and, and then the match continues and he's got lethal right where he wants him and he's got a big old smile on his face because he knows once he hits the arms of sorrow it's over he drills it one two lethal kicks out Another again natural progression He's toughened his body up now to where he can withstand the arms of sorrow. So, Kirky ends up, he just sits there stunned. And the entire audience is in a stunned silence. And the commentators are speechless. Because nobody's ever kicked out of the arms of sorrow. And Kirky, it was his best move, so he doesn't know where to go from there. So after a few moments where it's just just to soak in the moment, just to soak it in, he kicked out of the arms of sorrow and he's the first person to ever do it. They, you know, Kirky gets him up and he's getting a little overzealous, so he gets Lethal up and he's going for another one. 
but Lethal counters it with an arm drag. And then Lethal takes control and say he hits a lethal injection. But Blake Lethal's got something up his sleeve. So Blake Lethal pulls Matthews up. And he utilizes for the first time in his career a new move of his that will become his own no-kick-out move. So, you know, if he decides, whether Lethal decides to use this all the time or not, uh, whether it becomes a new finish for him, it just sets him up as the next possible contender to be the guy who ends up putting another guy over using the no-kick-out move for the future. And I think... Kicking out of a no-kick-out move, if we've learned anything from Terminko, of course, you have to get the permission of the uh, owner of the custom, the owner of the move. You have to get the permission of them to utilize it and have them kick out. But I think pitch them the storyline. Pitch them the angle first. Go out of your way to pitch them the angle. I know Rabbit said when the time is right, this is the way that he wants it to go down. So... I'm looking forward to being the guy, hopefully, that gets to do it. But it all depends on what Rabbit wants to do with the move. And if NGWI happens to close its doors before we get to this point, then it is what it is. Moving on to point number five here. Unlikely allies, bitter enemies. And this is something that I booked with Prodigy. This is something that we booked together that was going to happen in AIM before, you know, things changed. AIM ended, AIM came back. Different names, different people. Um, and a whole different uh, crew involved with that. So, bitter enemies, uh, unlikely allies, bitter enemies. So, I'm going to use the names that were going to be involved in it. Because it's an angle that could run an aim at some point, but I don't think it's going, I, I don't know if it's going to. So let's use it. Unlikely allies. So at the back end of the aim invitational, Canvas hadn't won a match, and Mason Chronic had only won the one match. And everybody who faced Canvas at that point was beating Canvas. So the thought going in was Mason Chronic gets a win over Canvas. Well, in reality, Mason Chronic lost to Canvas, and they had identical records at the end of the invitational. It was going to result in them feuding for a little bit. And whether they go back and forth or not, it was, you know, it was going to be just them feuding for a little bit. And then they would both, they would both earn respective title shots, and then they would, but they would be put together like Sheamus and Cesaro were put together as the bar. Canvas and Mason Chronic would be teaming up together <laughs> as a tag team. And they would go through a couple of opponents and they would gel together as a team along the way. Getting a getting and earning a tag team title opportunity. Well, these guys signed up as singles guys. So, of course, nobody thinks that this is going to last very long. So they go in against their the tag team champions, which I, I suppose Red, uh, Red Kraken were the champs. But I think it, I think it was Riches and Royalty, maybe. They go in and they decide, hey, hey, you know, you get a tag title shot. We're going to beat you. And then Canvas and Chronic win the tag team belts. And a big celebration. They won the belts. And, you know, they're, they're tag team champions. They're so happy. 
They've come together. They've become friends. But you always got to remember, Mason Chronic has a dark side. Mason Chronic had Congo, and he was this you know he's this guy that would come out and he just be destructive and all all he was worried about was st- destroying everything in sight. But Chronic had kept Congo in check. He was you know Chronic. I dubbed him as the happy accident. He was the custom that was never supposed to happen. I just dubbed him as the happy accident because he was like started as a job guy with LHW as a, in a role play league with LHW and it grew to me actually enjoying the custom giving him a backstory giving him Congo because Mason Chronic was nuts um is nuts so you know you give him you give him Congo and you, you know you let him you let him roll but he's kept Congo in check you know when he came back he kept Congo in check he didn't lose control well, you advance a month, and the tag team, they lose. They lose the belts back to whoever the champions were. And, you know, it, you know they, they, sit, they sit in the middle, and it's almost like, you know, from the greatness of victory to, from the highs of victory to the lows of defeat, they, you know, hug each other, they, they hug it out, it's like, but then Mason Chronic leaves the ring leaving Canvas to kind of soak in his moment or soak it in a little bit more that they, they had it and then for just a short amount of time and then just completely lost it. But Chronic turns around, runs in, and just beats the living daylights out of Canvas. Congo has surfaced. Basically, Chronic has lost control. He's so angry. The pent-up rage and frustration that he's held against Canvas since the day he beat him Finally coming out and just lays into Canvas and just destroys him. Leading to Canvas going on a long extended hiatus from AIM due to injury. During that time of his injury, Mason Chronic would have built himself up. He would have won the world title. He comes back. You know, and it's like, it's like he's the world champion, and he, he runs a couple months, and he's like, "I'm the world champion. Nobody can beat me." But this is Congo talking, not Mason Chronic. And then the AIM owner would hit the stage and declare that Mason Chronic's next challenger would be a returning heel canvas, and it would be the blow off to the feud. Probably in a hardcore match or a death match of some sort. And Canvas would ultimately conquer Congo and Mason Gronick and win the World Heavyweight Championship. And that, that's, that's the glory of it. Unlikely allies, bitter enemies. The feud doesn't continue far after the, you know, it doesn't continue after the big return of Canvas and the title victory. But that's it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to. It's just the end of the road for those guys. Canvas with the win, canvas with the big one, and it's all said and done. It's a big time win. And he uh you know picks up picks up the win, wins the world title and moves forward with the uh, 
great deal of momentum, but the feud the feud ends after that. It's over. It completely ends after that, and it's just it's just they they hate each other. They want to they want to kill each other. They want they're at each other's throats. So uh, when everything ends. Uh, it ends in a nice little shell. Canvas gets the happy ending, and you notice how all of these end in a happy ending. But Canvas gets the happy ending, and he wins the world title, and he gets his revenge on Mason Chronic in the process. Moving on, now we have the last one that I'm going to go into in detail. I will tell you what the uh, seventh master plan is, but we go into detail with the sixth and final master plan. And that would be a faction's complete takeover of a league. Now I know I ran through something similar with the building of a sort, uh, with the building of a sort of corporation. But with this one in particular, I really enjoy this one, and I think I enjoy this one more than that one. And that's a faction's complete takeover of a league, and this is something that I pitched for Carnage. Uh, this is this is something that I had pitched for Carnage. I enjoy I loved this. I I absolutely loved this. I, I thought it was a great idea and everybody everybody involved thought it was a great idea. And if I'm still in Carnage management I might just check that out here real quick. But, you know, in the meantime, let's start at the beginning. You know, I uh, really in, enjoyed this angle, but let, let's start at the beginning. Who, who's, the, who's the faction? Who's the faction? Well, very simply, very simply put, at the time, the faction was Undisputed Era. And it would be a complete league takeover. And people people might get mad at this. But it was going to be a complete league takeover by Undisputed Era. They were going to kill each other. And at the end of the day, you know, people might have gotten mad at that, but we were basically the only heel faction running around in the entire stinking league. So we decided, you know, it, it was it was a decision made together that we were going to run this angle. So I remember it in detail, but I want to. Go back up and find it and make it make sure that we're absolutely a okay with it. I'm sorry this is taking so long, but I'm scrolling through Amino right now trying to find it, and it was such a here's the idea.
All right, so Kirk won the ladder match. So, so you know, but let, let's just use placeholders because I don't know if this is going to happen anywhere else. I don't know if when Carnage comes back if they're going to use this. So, uh, somebody wins a ladder match. Whomever the champion is has a mask. And they do a beatdown and they unmask the champion. You know, they cashes in his title opportunity right off the bat, beats down the champion. And the champion is then unmasked. And they take the mask and they wear it as a prize. And they wear it around as a prize. And they're so happy. During this time, of course, two members of the group win the tag belts. So the other member wins the mid-card belt. And they have all the gold. And for a... certain aspects for the certain time it would allow you know UE would take over they'd be at the top and then for about a six to seven month span of time they're the champions reigning supreme over Carnage and they get so confident in themselves in fact that they decide that since they have all the gold that they run the show so they decide that they're going to book their own show around themselves and call it Undisputed Takeover. I guess, you know, you, if you ease the faction, Undisputed Takeover. So, you end up moving forward, and during all this time, while that's going on, Prodigon, or, or the Man in a Mask, I, I keep wanting to use the names from the Carnage stuff, but the Man in the Mask, he's watching at home, and all you get is a back a back of the head shot because he doesn't have his mask. And you, you see different people come in and try to convince him that he needs to come back. Several different people are trying to convince him that he needs to put his mask on. He needs to come back. He needs to set a trend here. He needs to be the man that we all know him to be. But there's a refusal because of the embarrassment that he lost his mask. The embarrassment of him being in that, you know, scenario. And it kills him inside. And it t truly aided him. But he sees how this group has just taken over and finally decides to don the mask. And he comes back with a guy who had been, you know, kind of kind of being his, his kind of guide to the entire thing, comes back and is in the... Fray with undisputed. Oh, dang it, he's in the fray with all these guys, and the guy who kind of took his spot and kind of carried the torch against them. You know, he they they come back together, and they they run undisputed air off. It's like they have they have a renewed sense of a renewed sense of pride in each other, and they come in and they start storming. They they storm they storm the ring. They run the undisputed era out. And this is right before undisputed takeover. I'm just gonna use undisputed era. It's the easiest thing I can think of. 
So they run him out, and they, they challenge him at Undisputed Takeover to a four-on-four, winner-take-all elimination match. Notice how all of these angles that involve big groups of people in an elimination match. A four-on-four, winner-take-all elimination match. All the belts on the line. And, of course, the two guys, you know, the, the world title contender, the mid-card title contender, they have to go find themselves a tag team. The perfect tag team in my mind at the time was the Briscoes. Today, uh, you know, uh, with, I don't know what's going on with D, but with everything going on now, you know, I, I kind of almost want, it would be almost a Mustache Mountain or an LDRS. The, the dream tag team would be the Briscoes, but it would be, you know, it, it would kind of be Mustache Mountain or LDRS. So, you move forward, you get to Undisputed Takeover, and of course, in the main event, four-on-four, elimination contest, winner-take-all. And gets down to the final two, and it was we, we were thinking of cool ways to make it so unpredictable because I think everybody, if Kirk's the world champion, would think Kirky would make it to the, the, the final bit. We were thinking, well, you know, we could really try and elevate, you know, Grime here. At least this, this was things that we I pitched, you know, everybody. Let's let's make it unpredictable. Let, let's not have the guys that you would expect to finish the match finish the match. Let's let's keep it different. Let's make it different. But at the end of the day, the team of baby faces beats the undisputed era, and undisputed era drops all their belts. And that leads into something that would happen later. And I'm not going to get into that because I don't want anything that Carnage might do to affect them. I, with the extended span of time, I don't think they'll be running this in particular, but it's one of my master plans, and I wanted to run it down. And finally, last but not least, we have something that, you know, I, I, I always had the match in mind, but I didn't necessarily have the story all figured out until last night, or I guess three in the morning. But I, uh, I worked it out with uh, Tool, and it is Sycamore versus Matthews, the end. It's the ultimate bookmark on the entire feud. You know where it ends up. As I said, I was going to do this. 60-minute Iron Man match between the two. But the story that we put together for it is an amazing thing, I think. And I think it's something that all of you are going to really enjoy. And so basically, the last thing I'm going to plug here is stay tuned to NGWI. We've got announcements coming your way. We've got a lot of really cool stuff planned. And, you know, just look forward to that because the first master plan you're going to get to see run, you're going to get to see how how good it works and how well one of these master plans can can work. The first one you're going to get to see is Sycamore versus Matthews, the end. So with that being said, guys, you know, that, that is all seven master plans, and I want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening. The master plan edition, it's, these are my pride and joy. These are the seven things that I love the most. Um, next week, I've already got an episode set up already that you'll see 
the United, you know, the history of United Wrestling, a league run by Prodigy. It's before he got into AIM, and it's where he started his humble beginnings. It's where one of the places where I got my start, and a lot of other people got their start. And they were given opportunities that other places were not affording them at the time. Um, not the biggest league, but I wanted to run it down because there are aspects of it and different things that I wanted to run down. Um, again, because the opportunities that were given, there were there are guys in that league that had a lot of potential that just didn't pan out. And there are a lot of guys in that league that have risen to greater heights ever since then. So next week we have the history of United Wrestling with Prodigy. And I am looking forward for you guys to hear that episode. We get on tangents, we go on a long route, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. But that's next week. And then I do want to also put out there that in two weeks, we have something that people kind of forget. They don't forget about it, but it's one of those things where if you join the app, a lot of the people on the app joined a little later, and they might have missed humble beginnings but we have an entire episode based around evo so uh stay tuned for that that's in two weeks so and of course we have our uh prince michael's episode uh in the future so i want to thank everybody for listening again if you enjoy this podcast please give it a follow and um again thank you guys for the continued support and um it's surprising how well this has gone over, but um, it's a pleasant surprise. So, again, thank you guys for all the support, and I, I do hope to continue to um, put out these podcasts and give you guys some insight. So, with that being said, I will see you next week for United Wrestling, and see you later.